This morning, we are going to be continuing our series that we had started beforehand. And so for those who remember two weeks ago, we started talking about the Beatitudes and doing a series on breaking that down and looking at what exactly the Beatitudes are discussing, what they're talking about. Last week in particular, we talked about the Beatitudes are, and it was a description of what, this, what the magnitude of this sermon was. This morning, we're going to be taking a slightly different approach, but similar along the same, or along the same lines. We're going to be discussing that the Beatitudes teach. The Beatitudes teach. Now, you see the three little dots at the end mean we're going to be filling in the blank on what it is that it's discussing, but we're going to be breaking this down piece by piece But we're not going to go through each individual beatitude this morning. What we're going to be discussing is a broad description of what it is that the beatitudes are teaching, what they're showing to you and to me. Remember how we talked about that this was a revolutionary sermon that Jesus was teaching. He was teaching something that many people of this day would have thought, this is insane. Why would I have to do this? I mean, just think about one of the statements he made. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The meek? Those who aren't expressing strength, those who aren't like showing everyone just how tough they are, they're going to inherit the earth. That makes no sense. But Jesus is going to break down each of these thought processes that are shown in their modern or in their world at the time, and he's going to show them the flaw in their arguments. He's going to show them the difficulty in what they're trying to hold to. But let's talk about the Beatitudes teach. First of all, what are we discussing? The Beatitudes teach what? First of all, they teach the need for a savior. The need for a Savior. If you would, please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. That's Matthew chapter 5. Here Jesus begins His sermon. He's discussing this very topic of the Beatitudes. He's breaking down piece by piece. But the very first one He describes is what? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's describing those who understand their need. They understand, I'm not the one that's the powerful one here. I'm not the one who can do everything on my own. I'm not the one who can magically pave my way to heaven and get there. Remember how people in the Old Testament thought they could build a tower to the heavens, and what did God say? I'm going to confuse your language. We're going to stop this right now. This is not going to happen because it's not about what you and I can do. You and I are not the God or the Savior who can magically teleport us to the pearly gates. We have to have a Savior. In psychology, one of the fundamental statements that they discuss when you're trying to help someone with a problem is it's very difficult to fix a problem if you don't even admit you have one. Well, as Christians, is that not what we admit? We admit we are people that are flawed. We understand that we have mistakes, that we have done wrong, and we have a need for a Savior. This is a group that is designed to help to bring us closer to God, and our understanding of our need for God is essential in that. It's not something we can just say, well, it's okay if I don't exactly talk about that. No, friends, if we don't get this point, why are we here? If we don't get the point that we need a Savior, we need Christ, why are we even here? Because if we did not need Him, we could do anything we wanted to and still get there. We could figure this out on our own. We have to understand our need for a Savior. If we would go ahead and look at Psalm chapter 14. That's Psalm chapter 14. 
Specifically, we're going to be looking in verse 1. It says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. It's a pretty dark way to start a psalm, is it not? But what's he saying? He says, those who say there is no God, I have no need for a God, they're a fool. They're a fool. Imagine someone who is diagnosed, let's say, with a terminal illness. They have this terminal illness. They know that in a few weeks they're going to die. And you go to them and you say, well, have you, have you started treatments? Have you gone to the doctor? Have you tried to do anything? And they say, I have no need for a doctor. They don't know what they're doing. Our first thought would probably say, well, I know what other kind of doctor you need. You're insane. <laughs> to say you don't need a doctor when you know for a fact you're going to die? Friends, that's how we are. As humans, we make mistakes, we sin, we've rejected God at one point or another. <clears throat> and so because of that, we have the need for a Savior. In Genesis chapter 3, we saw what happened when man fell. Man had separated himself from God. And from that day forward, it was necessary that we have someone to bring us back to Him. You and I are not capable of that. You and I are not capable of being the Savior, the one who stands between, the one who pays the price for sin. Because we've all committed sin. We all are sacrifices with spots and blemishes. So we could not be that perfect sacrifice. The one that in Hebrews chapter 10 it talks about was the once for all. That was Jesus Christ. The man who came to this earth lived a perfect life, but was also God. He came and lived and was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He never fell for the same trap that we did, thus giving us hope and showing us a better way. See, we have a need for this Savior See, when sin entered the world, it was necessary that it be removed. This is an interesting passage in Romans chapter 5. Specifically, we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 12. That's Romans chapter 5. Let's <clears throat> we'll start in verse 9. It says, Much more than having now been justified by His blood, talking about Christ, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as, though one sin, or just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed. When there is no law, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Here, Paul is describing that the state of mankind, the state that we were in, he says it is through Christ that we have this reconciliation. We can be brought back to God. You see, according to James chapter, or James chapter 1, we are the first fruits of His creatures, the best that God created, and He had been separated from us. He had lost the first fruits, the best that He had, He had been separated from. Just imagine for a moment, the most precious thing that you have, and that might be different for everybody, but the most precious thing that you have, imagine not being able to be around it not being able to see it, 
not being able to use it. Now, for most of us, that's probably going to be a loved one. Someone that's precious to us and we're separated from them, we never have the opportunity to be around them. It's heartbreaking. The thought of that is heartbreaking. But that's what Christ went through. That's what God went through. He had created man and He looked upon the world that He had created in Genesis chapter 2. He said it was very good. But because of man's sin, He lost that. That was separated from Him. If man had not sinned, it would have continued on as He had created it. A wonderful relationship between man and God, one that has direct communication even. And that every single perfect thing was there. Every single horrible thing we see today would never have even come to pass. But by one man, sin entered the world and death through sin. So we have need for this Savior. You look at the image on the screen, you see that life preserver and that mindset or that picture comes to mind probably for many of us of a sinking ship or a person who's fallen overboard and you throw the life preserver to try to drag them back to safety. That's what Jesus did for you and for me. He threw out that lifeline for us to drag us back closer to Him if we're willing to reach out and to grab it. If we're willing to follow after Him, we have to understand the need for a Savior. This is the first fundamental teaching of what Christ is showing in the Beatitudes. The first thing. See, we have this need for a Savior and this was only able to be accomplished by one person. Only one being was able to accomplish this. We see that in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 10 through 12, that this was Christ, the one sacrifice. Christ was showing us, pointing us back to the need for a Savior. Because if you think about the day and age at this time and what they were doing, many Jews probably thought that they could just continue to offer the sacrifices that they had been told about, and well, I can be saved now. Even though we look in Malachi chapter 1 and we see how Christ, or God is talking to His people and He says, you're, you're cheating me. You're robbing me in the very actions that you think will save you. He said, if I'm a father, where's my honor? You see, you're going through the motions. You're doing the things that I've told you to do, but you're doing them half-heartedly. You're doing the things that I've told you to do, but you're cheating me. It's not correct to say that we can work our way to heaven, but it's also not correct to say that God will bring us there anyway. We have to want to be there with Him. We have to want to follow after Him, and it's more than just a want to. It's more than just me saying, oh yeah, I want to go to heaven. I can want to have a million dollars. But if I don't do what it takes to get the money, then it's a waste of time. That's a waste of effort for me to say that. But so many Christians want to say, I want to be a Christian, I want to follow after God, but they are not willing to do what it takes to do that. They're content to say, well, I can sit in a pew on Sunday, I can sit in a pew on Wednesday, I can sit in a pew on even Sunday night. And I'm doing everything it takes to go to heaven. 
Friends, God never taught that. Not in the Old Testament, not in the New Testament. Because that was never His plan. Christianity is not a social club that we come together and just hang out for a day and then go home and do whatever we want. Christianity is a lifestyle, something we choose to do day in and day out. When the choices come before you and me, the difficult situations, the sorrow, the pain, all of that, we choose to follow God. And it's not easy. It's not easy. Something I've said before, and I've, I'm not the one that originated this, but it's something that's always stuck with me. If you never face difficulty, you might want to check your life. If you never face problems from people, you probably need to look back in the book. Because what Jesus said is, I came to bring a sword, not peace. What Jesus was teaching is something that many people would hate to hear. And we see that today. The reality is, most people do not want to go to heaven. That's the reality. We might think that if, if we just tell them everything there is to know, they'll believe. Friends, there were people who saw the miracles of God and they didn't accept it. There's a need for a Savior. There's a need for one to bring us out of this world, to bring us back to the Father. God rewards those who see this reality, and He describes the abandonment of reality as foolishness. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. All throughout the book of Proverbs, we see those who are foolish and those who are wise, and God is distinguishing between the two through the pen of Solomon. And over and over and over again, Solomon describes those who are foolish as those who are not paying attention. Those who don't see their need. Those who wander into situations and just expect it to work out. There's a need for a Savior. There's a need for one to bring us back to Him. But the choice falls to you and to me. It's our choice whether or not we follow this. It's a choice whether or not we're going to be committed to Him. It's a choice how I'm going to live. It's a choice how I treat my fellow Christians. And it's a choice how I handle the situations out in the world. But if this is all that was taught in the Beatitudes, it would be a very depressing sermon. <laughs> if all it was was, I'm lost, I need a Savior, that's depressing. But that's not all that was taught. See, also what was taught is strength in the Lord. Strength in the Lord. Oftentimes the world likes to describe Christianity as weak people. And the reality is some of that is true. Many people who name the name of Christian are very weak when it comes to their faith. They'll allow anything to go and they just say, yeah, it's all right, just do what you want to do. For many people, they like to think that there's a libertarian party for the church of Christ. <laughs> that you do what you want to do, I do what I want to do, and at the end of the day, we're all friends. Friends, we have to do what God says and what God says alone. It's not about how I feel or how you feel. It's not about anything to do with that. As long as we're following after the Word of God, we're being righteous. 
But that requires more than just going through the motions. You see, we can have strength in the Lord. We tend to think of sin as this impossible thing to overcome sometimes. That, oh, I've committed so many things that are wrong, there's no way God can forgive me, there's no way He can bring me back, and there's no way I can stay faithful to Him because sin is always at the door. But that's not what Jesus taught. What Jesus taught is we understand when we are alone, we're weak. We're not strong. 1 Corinthians 15, 15 through 17 is a point that I would like us to consider. Here, Paul writing to the church in Corinth. Specifically, we know 1 Corinthians 15 as this comparison between the life that we used to live and the new life that we have in Christ, the end and the final victory, and all these wonderful things that Paul is talking about. But specifically, let's look at verse 15. Here Paul writes, Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He has raised us up, whom He did not raise up, if in fact the dead did not rise. For if the dead did not rise, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. Think about what Paul is saying there. He says, if Christ did not raise from the dead, if Christ was not here... We're living a miserable life. Imagine if God had created a world where He did not offer a sacrifice, but sin still existed. And He tells you and me, you've sinned, you're going to be lost. And just like the men on the day of Pentecost would cry out to the Lord and say, how can we fix this? What do we need to do? And He says, nothing. You can't do anything. I was just here to tell you you were going to be lost. Think about how horrible of a life that would be. But that's not what Christ said. See, Christ said, yes, you've sinned, you've committed wrong before God, and there is a punishment to that. However, I offer a way of escape. I offer you a way to come back home. I offer you a way to make this right. See, we have strength in the Lord. We don't have to be in this state where we're just by ourselves. 1 Corinthians 15.33, if evil communications corrupt good morals. We all have probably heard that statement growing up in Bible class. We probably sang the song, Oh, be careful little eyes what you see. Oh, be careful little ears what you hear. We understand that the influences around us can drag us away from God, but there's a flip side to that as well. See, for every positive in the Bible, there's a negative, and for every negative, there's a positive. If God says, if you do this, you will be condemned, then the implication is, if you do not do this, then what? You'll be saved. You'll be fine. So if evil communications corrupt good morals, good communications encourage them. Good communications promote them. Friends, why do you think God created a church? Why do you think he said, I'm going to bring people back to me, but they need to do it together? Why do you think that was? For many in the world, it's so they can bicker, fight, and disagree about the carpet color. But God created it so that you and I, when we face difficulties, when we face problems, we bond together. We say no matter what the world does out there, it does not come in here. Now, isn't that a wonderful thing? Is that not an exciting thing? 
Because friends, when we allow the things of this world to come in, it weakens that bond. It tears us apart. Because those who are wanting to follow after the world are being pulled away from God's people and those who are wanting to follow after Him are being pulled away as well. And it tears what once was good and beautiful. Think about the first century church in Acts chapter 2 when these 3,000 Christians finally come to Christ. Think about how of an exciting moment that was. Remember, this is before the major persecutions too. Think about how exciting of a moment that would be. All these people are around you. But it's not many chapters later we start reading about divisions that began to pop up. About problems they began to face. About how things were dragging them apart over things that really didn't matter. We start hearing false teachers coming before the brethren and they're teaching them all these things and they're dragging them away. They have others coming and teaching them that they need to follow Judaism as well. And the apostles fight a constant battle saying, just stay the course. You can have strength in Christ. Without Him, we can fall for anything. If we forget this book, if we do not listen to what it says, if we do not base our lives on that, friends, we are adrift at sea. That's exactly what James was talking about. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. If I try to hold to the ways of the world and the ways of God, those two things do not mix. It's only through Christ that I have strength. Now that picture behind me for many of us probably is a dreaded image. (laughs) Exercise is painful. It's hard. You walk away feeling miserable and the next day you say, I've got to do this again. But that's Christianity in a nutshell. It takes work. It takes effort. We have to exercise our spiritual muscles, if you will. I'm not just going to come out of the water and immediately be able to handle everything the world throws at me. It takes patience. It takes growth. It takes teaching. But that's why we have one another is for that exact purpose. When I'm weak, I have others to make me strong. When you're weak, you have others to lean on. Why do you think that Jesus talked about when there was problems in your midst, according to Matthew chapter 18, He said to go to that brother, to talk to that person? Oh, so you can get them told, right? They need to know they're wrong. No, it's so you can say, hey, this is a problem. This is a problem we need to reconcile. We need to make this right. Because if I don't do that, then I allow another division in the church. Those who are counselors talk about in a marriage relationship or in any relationship for that matter. Communication is vital. Why? Well, because if I don't communicate that something bothers me and I don't make it right, what does that foster? A grudge. What does that foster? Resentment. And what does that lead to? Division. Separation. Friends, it's no accident that God described the church as the bride of Christ. It's no accident that He described our relationship to Him as the body of Christ as a marriage. Because a marriage is a symbol, it's a showing of that relationship between Christ and His church. 
Think about it. How did Christ set it up? He said there is only one thing that can separate a marriage. Friends, there's only one thing that can separate a church from God. That's leaving Him. That's cheating on Him. There's a reason He described it the way that He did. He's showing us this is the exact kind of relationship that I want with you. A relationship where I say, I want to protect you. I want to provide what you need. I want to help you in any way that you can. But if you leave me, there's nothing I can do. But with Him, there is strength. With Him, there is safety. With Him, there is protection. Those who seek after the Lord will receive the things that they need. Matthew 6, 33. David described he had never seen God's people begging for bread. That is, our, that is the promise He's made to you and to me. We can follow after Him and He has promised to provide us the things that we need to survive. If you don't believe it, look at the history of this congregation. Look at the history. Look at the history of the church in, in the book of Acts. Look at the history of how God created this body of believers. Look at how He created it. Now for us, we say, no, 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 i got to take care of everything myself. i got to make sure I do this. I, I can't do this because I have... There was no but at the end of that sentence. There was no but in that verse at all. He says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. The things that you need to follow after God will be be provided. If it wasn't the case, God is not a just God. Now that doesn't mean that we get the Maserati we want. That doesn't mean we have all the gaming systems we want. But the things that we need to follow after Him will be provided. One way or another. There's strength in the Lord. There is protection in the Lord. There is provision in the Lord. God has given us the strength to live faithfully by arming us with a purpose. The rest of the world has to make one up. Has to come up with something, some reason to live. Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is literally the whole duty of man. makes sense why things are the way they are. We're following after God. We're seeking for something. Even those who are living a lifestyle where they say, I want to reject God entirely, have to have some purpose to want to live. Why do you think there's so many causes in the world? Because my mission is to make the world a better place. Even if it doesn't need changing. God has given us everything that we need, including a purpose. A reason to keep going. A reason to push forward. Why would I go through the pain and the sorrow and the difficulty of living life as a Christian if there was no reason for it? This is the exciting part. To say that God has given us what we need. That He has promised us strength, security, and provision. That's a wonderful thing. 
See, God gives us the strength by offering us assurance of a better future. He told His disciples, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to Myself. That's a promise for all of us. How do I know that? Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. That's what God offers you and me. No, not a fearful dread of the future, but hope, strength, courage. That's what He wants for you and for me. That's what He wants for every congregation of the Lord's church. But we have to remember the source. We have to follow after the one who provides this. This is the teaching of what He's showing in the Beatitudes. But finally, He shows us how we handle the struggles of this world. If you ask anyone for advice, you're going to get a million and one pieces of it. I heard a man on one occasion describe that the reason that everyone gives a piece of advice is because no one has actually any advice to give. We have a little bit. We can show how this might work, but they're not preparing you for the next problem that's caused by the piece of advice they gave you. You ask for help, you're going to get all kinds of ideas for the same thing. And they're going to be polar opposite nine times out of ten. But God gave us a path to follow, a way that we can actually handle the problems of this world. Conflict is inevitable. If you try to live the life of a Christian, conflict is inevitable. Why? Because what God teaches is polar opposite to the world. And if what God teaches is polar opposite to the world, you better believe they're going to want to fight it. They're going to want to stop what it is. That's what He told His disciples. That's the promise He gave for you and for me. But He gave us a way through it. And also, I don't know why when you're making a PowerPoint, it's a larger font, and then it shows up that small. But anyway, <laughs> but that's what he's showing us. Conflict is something that's going to happen. There's going to be problems that we face. He told his disciples to be aware that if the world hates you, they hated me first. Because if we're living after Christ and people hate us for it, friends, that's a good thing, not a bad thing. Because that means that we have a, a pattern that we can follow that is separate from what the world is offering. Remember how they treated the disciples? Remember how they treated the prophets? Remember how they treated Christ? They hate what He does. They hate who He is. And just like Jesus said, He came to set family members against family members, not on purpose, not because that's what He wants, but because that's inevitable of what's going to happen. People make mistakes. People have flaws. People have struggles. People have difficulties that separate them from one another. But it's only through Christ that we can bring those back together. That we can mend those problems. The Lord shows us through this section how to react when these conflicts arise as well. Go ahead and look at verses 10 through 12 of Matthew chapter 5. That's Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. 
Well, specifically, let's start in verse 9. He says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. Notice this, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He says you can be considered happy because if you think the men like Isaiah, Jeremiah, all these prophets, Ezekiel, Daniel, if you think all these men were great men, he says you're in good company. You're in good company. He says you can be blessed when people say these things against you that have no merit. Ronald Reagan had a nickname when he was president, which was the Teflon president. Nothing could stick to him. They would bring up these accusations and just nothing would stick. That's how we're supposed to be. We're Teflon people. (laughs) Nothing sticks. Nothing that people say will stick to us. So these are false accusations. Because we're living a blameless life. A life that's following after Christ. That's how we handle the struggles of this world. We stay true to Him. We follow His Word. We follow the things that He says. Now, unfortunately, today, we're not going to get into every single one of the Beatitudes because we have somewhat of a time frame to follow. (laughs) But the Beatitudes show us these things piece by piece. Show us the attitude that we're to have. Show us the mindset that we're to follow. Remember, we said the Beatitudes are the backbone of Christ's teachings. If we get that right... That's like learning 1 plus 1 equals 2. We have the baseline. We have the baseline. We seek peace because it promotes thought. When there's fighting, when there's arguing, when there's bitter attitudes toward one another, what's the first thing to go? Logic. Intelligence. Reason. Those things are gone immediately because the second I get mad at you, I'm just trying to figure out how to shut you down. We're not trying to come to any understanding. We're not trying to make this right. And friends, the 10-second rule of walk away for 10 seconds and breathe a little bit before you come back to the conversation does not just apply to family relationships. It applies to the church as well. I can't teach the gospel properly if I'm angry. I can't worship God properly if I'm angry. And I can't make anything right with my brothers and sisters if I'm angry. We seek peace. Not because of weakness. Not because we can't stand up for the truth. We seek peace because that's the way that we study together. That's the way that we learn together. It's the difference in a debate and a discussion. How we handle problems. How do we handle the struggles of this world, the sorrow, the pain? How do we handle the fights, the anger? We follow the example. We follow the example that was given by Christ that when we see these problems, when we face these difficulties, we stand where we have to stand. 
but I don't become judge, jury, and executioner. I don't hold grudges. When I have a problem, I make it right because the sooner that gets taken care of, the sooner we can move forward as a church. I don't allow my feelings to be on my sleeve and just waiting for someone to just come knock it off. I follow Christ. When I'm wrong, I make it right. But if we are a church that is trying to follow after Christ, if we are a body of Christians that are trying to be just like Him and we're not told what's wrong, we're not told there's a problem, we don't know there's a problem, how on earth can we fix it? Christ offered a better way. A better way than the world offers. The world says when someone steps on you the wrong way, they're done. Christ says make it right. If both people want to follow God and be in heaven, we better figure out how to live on this earth together too. The Beatitudes teach a series of things that are contrary to what the world likes to show. The Beatitudes are a backbone that points us to Christ, that points us to a better way. But it's our choice if we decide to live it. It's our choice how we want to be as members of the Lord's church. If we follow after Him, then we do what He says. If we decide that we want to be our own thing, then we're separated from Him. I don't know what anyone specifically is dealing with this morning. Only you know what's going on in your own heart and head. But if there's something that is separating you from God, anything that is preventing you from being with Him, this invitation is not just so we can get the songbooks out and get ready to go. This is not just so we have time to wind back up and wake back up so we can get ready to sing. This invitation is for you to think and for me to think. If there's anything in my life that is keeping me from God, keeping me from making it to heaven, then that's what I need to change right now. His path is simple. He's made the way available to hear the Word of God, believe it to be true. Upon believing it to be true, we're willing to repent of all of our past sins. We see examples of this throughout Scripture. And based upon that repentance, that changed mind just brings a changed life, I'm willing to confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's exactly who He said He was, and I want to follow Him. And based upon that confession, we can baptize you into Christ this very morning. Bearing that old man of sin, raised to walk in newness of life, so that you don't have to look at your life in fear anymore. You don't have to wonder, am I okay? But once that we're raised out of that water, we have to stay faithful. Not perfect. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to have problems. But faithful. In 1 John chapter 1, we see that He wants us to come home. He wants to save us. He wants us to be a part of His family. Specifically, verse 9, He says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All he needs is your decision. 
one way or the other. If you're not a member of the Lord's church, don't leave here separated from Him. If you are a member of the Lord's church, but you know there's something amiss in your life and you want it to be fixed, these front pews are here for that. Not so everyone can sit there and say, oh, I wonder what he did. But it's so we can pray for you, to work with you to make sure that we get each other to heaven. But maybe this morning you're just not sure. You've heard a lot about this. You know a lot about the Word of God, but you just want some confirmation. We're willing to sit down and study with you. Yes, we'll miss Cracker Barrel for that. But if you have any need, don't hesitate. Don't wait. Don't gamble with your future. Come as together we stand as we sing.